Hello and welcome to our first Cold Chain Live uh, series interview with Tim Moran, the Managing Director of Lineage Logistics. Hi Tim, welcome to Cold Chain Live. Hi Shane, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm really Excellent. good. Um, it's really it's really exciting. It's not quite what we had in mind for our, cold, our first Cold Chain Live conference, was it? No, things have changed a little bit, haven't they? This pandemic's really got in the way of... Uh of us socialising and do what we normally do in the Federation, but still we can make the best of a bad job, I guess, you know. Yeah, and actually, I mean, the level of response we've had for this has been fantastic, so it's been, it's been great. Can we start by, obviously, I should say, you don't need any introduction, because most people across the UK cold chain know who you are, but that said, can you just give, tell us a little bit about yourself and the business? Yeah, of course. So, uh, my name's Tim Moran. We, we've established that already. Uh, I'm the Managing Director and Regional Vice President for Lineage. Uh, in the UK, so my responsibilities are for all the warehousing and transportation operations um, uh, in, in, for lineage uh, in the UK and commercial activities. Um, so I've been in the temperature controlled supply chain for 29 years now. Uh, 27 of those I was with uh, Yearsley Logistics uh, and for two of those years I've been with Lineage Logistics. Uh, lineage acquired Yearsley two years ago. So it's been, you know, uh, quite a change. Uh, I, you know, we've transitioned out of being a, a family-run organisation uh, with over sort of 66 years of heritage uh, within uh, within the business uh, and moved into um, a more corporate um, American temperature-controlled specialist. Uh, and it's been uh, it's been a been a real journey. And I mean, one. Key thing about the, uh, the, the the change into lineage is the extent of the investment that you're putting into the UK market. Can you talk about about, about the, the expansion of lineage? Yeah, so so lineage uh, has 14 facilities in the in in the United Kingdom at this this moment in time. Um, we've got uh, in the region of 340,000 pallet spaces. Uh, when we finished our expansion, um, which we're we're doing now, so we've actually got three builds happening. Uh, one here that you, you saw earlier in Haywood. Uh, we've got a build that's just being completed in Peterborough, uh, and we're also expanding Peterborough, uh, which has just been announced today in the press, uh, with another 92,000 pallet facility, automated facility. So when these builds are done, it's going to take our total up to over 550,000 pallets of, uh, of storage capacity in the UK, still across 14 sites, uh, but we're just building out on land that we've, we've already got. And we've got aspirations to do to do more. What gives you the confidence to put that kind of additional capacity into the UK market? Well, if you look at frozen food um, and temperature-controlled supply chains, they've 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 been underinvested for a long time. Um, people have been building and putting and putting space down, but but unfortunately, that space hasn't been going down fast enough. We came out of a global global crisis at the back end of 2008, uh, a credit crunch, uh, watching the economy uh, struggling. Uh, Frozen performed okay through that, and temperature controlled logistics performed okay through that, but of course people didn't really have the confidence to build. So there was quite a long time where, where really not much investment was happening into the, into the, into the UK uh, temperature controlled supply chain. And really when, when the economy started to come back uh, and people had confidence again, that uh, that time of no building has really made the uh, made the the available storage space quite tight with, within the UK. Um, so so there's a little bit catch up 
if you like, that sits within there. You know, we, we've had to start investing and building to catch up and, and to get in front of things. But it's also the nature of the business and the nature of how we consume food is changing. So online sales have had a had a huge difference, and, and there's been a lot of growth within that. Frozen food has grown. Uh, eating uh, out and takeaway, of course, that's not something that's happening so much today uh, because of where we are with COVID-19. But but people getting a croissant on the way to work, you know, lots of that product is frozen and, and sort of the trends within within uh, food and, and, and how people eat uh, has been very tailored towards uh, a frozen offering. So, so you know, a, a long time of underinvestment um, has been one contributing factor, but actually the, the growth of, of, of frozen and temperature controlled within the industry is, is certainly there. And you've mentioned it already, COVID-19, obviously that's dominated the last nine yeah. months of our lives across the board. That plan hasn't really changed as a result of that. What's the actual dynamics of those short-term pressures around COVID-19? Certainly, it's going to be something I'll look back on in my career and, and, and talk to my grandchildren about, I'm sure. Um, we were happily going along. We, we had investments running. We were putting space up, and then COVID-19 happened, and, and the world fell to pieces all of a sudden. Um, and what we saw in, 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 within our business is that um, the food service channels, of course, just dropped overnight so so that food service distribution quick serve restaurants hotels all that type of thing just finished and and, and that decimated that business but what we saw was that uh, there was a real strong resurgence within within the retail sector so we were seeing over uh, our volumes in retail were 30 percent higher than than they were pre-covid so we we saw challenges from site to site about how that dynamic changed now what's happened today is that the, 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 the retail sector's come back a little bit, so there's runners and riders within that, but, but we're in single digit pre-COVID growth within in, in where uh, the retail volumes are, and food service is starting to come back slowly but surely, but it's not to the, it's not to the levels it was. It's not to the levels it was, but it's getting somewhere near. So it's, uh, it's been a very interesting, an interesting time. And just a quick word on that, on the specifics of actually running that operation, the people that you've got working with you in this organisation, how have they responded to the, to the uncertainty and pressures of the last few months? You know, we, we can't... So what, what, what you hear on the news is all about frontline workers and, and the NHS and, and, you know, people like that going in there. You know, we've got real heroes that have turned up every day uh, through the pandemic, have never dropped, uh, you know, never dropped a case, if you like, never dropped a pallet. You know, they've been here all the time loading that food out and making sure that those deliveries are happening. And, and, and when, when you look back and, and, and you, you sort of see what's gone on and you take stock of that, you can't be anything other than proud of the workforce. You know, we, they've really managed to cope. Um, we, we, we decentralised everything we did and sent people home to work from home. And we did that in a, in a week. Our IT systems were stretched to the limit. And, and you know, there's a, you know, a huge applause to our IT team for being able to, to enable that so quickly that, that we could do it. And, and, and ultimately, our customers hopefully didn't feel a, a pinch from it. Isn't it's layers on layers, isn't it? Because you think about it, you know, we, 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 our, our mind immediately goes to the drivers and the warehouse operatives who kept coming to work and showing yeah. up every day, even at the height of the yeah. concern. But you say that back office as well, keeping these things, things moving through that time has been a, a real credit to everybody. 
Um, let's move on to talk a bit about the theme of our of our of our conference of sure. Cold Chain Live. Yeah. Um, obviously, we've we've set ourselves a very grand ambition, talking about towards net zero. Um, we've done it deliberately to be, I think, a bit provocative to get people thinking and talking about the long term. Mm. Um, but we absolutely have to ground that in the in in the current and the and, and, and the pragmatic. Um, how does Lineage as a business sort of see? the overarching kind of uh, responsibility around environmental uh, responsibility. Yeah, so, so so lineage is really really embedded into this. You know, we we're a very value driven company, um, as you can see. Probably, I'm, I'm not sure whether you get to see that on the screen, but you know, our values are there in the background. Uh, our purpose is to eliminate waste and feed the the world. And, and waste is food waste. It's energy waste. It's all types of waste. Um, so you know, we we're very very embedded into looking at that. Um, and some of the things that Lineage have done is, is, is beyond sort of incredible, really. The, the Department for Energy in, in, in America uh, have, have awarded Lineage two um, sort of prizes, if you like, uh, for, for energy reduction uh, and how they've been uh, approaching that. I think I've talked before about the blast-free cells. That was one of the things that they put forward to the Department of Energy in America to, 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 to get them to understand what Lineage is doing to try and uh, reduce energy consumption. Let's unpack, that, unpack that a little bit. Obviously, blast yeah. freezing is a key part of of, of the of services yeah, we provide yeah, yeah, temperature controlled yeah. uh, logistics. Um, what's the um, what's the the win there in terms of the work you've been doing around innovation around blast freezing? So the, there's two wins. So so one is energy consumption, and the other is time to freeze. So our data scientists took a problem, and that problem actually started around strawberries and the strawberry harvest in the, in the US and they, and they were looking at how they could get more product through the blast cells in a more efficient way to, to, to meet the, the, the strawberry harvest. Uh, and when they looked at that, they, they started to analyze what was, what was happening on airflow and what they did was optimize these blast cells and, and, and what that did is reduce the energy consumption and the time it took to freeze the actual product within there. So, so by using real data science and using real, you know, clever people, you know, I move pallets around. These guys, you know, put numbers on things that I don't understand, yeah. and and the very very clever people who who are just looking all the time about how we can innovate what we're doing um, to become more efficient. And I guess from your point of view, you know, in a world where it's basically our job is to find the way to get product moved as quickly and as efficiently and as cheaply as possible in terms of the operation. Um, I guess that's a sweet spot, isn't it? That kind of data science, reducing energy consumption to reduce cost. Yeah. Is that is that sort of the driver that sort of governs how you see see, see these decisions? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, so so you know, reducing cost, taking waste out of the supply chain, being able to offer our customers value, but also being able to offer our customers security and food security and and, and the temperature of food security as well. So, you know, it, it's within all our uh, best interests that we, we look at this from our business. You know, we are, we're a huge en energy consumer. We can't get away from it. That's, that's something that we do. We have to power refrigeration. Um, we have to keep food safe. And, and, and to do that, that means we, we consume vast amounts of energy around the globe. Now, being able to reduce that impact and that impact on the environment is really key, not only from a cost point of view, but also for, from, from, from an environmental standpoint as well. And our customers are very, very tuned in to being environmentally friendly, and they want us to be environmentally friendly and, and be a good partner through the supply chain. One of the things we, we're going to be unpacking through this, this week of our, of, of our conference is, is, the, is this idea of how you define the net zero challenge. Mm. And I think what you've just there has really got into that, that, that dynamic, because on the one hand, there's the challenges that you can take on as an individual, as an individual company, yep. and take responsibility for what you're doing. 
but also how you fit into the wider ecosystem. And I guess what you're describing is Lineage's relationship with its customers is the key of, of being able to, to, to achieve those sorts of bigger picture, long-term goals and environmental responsibility. Of course, you know, Lineage is the largest temperature control logistics provider in the world now. We, we, we have facilities all over the world and, and that's growing um, really every day <laughs> in some ways. It feels like it grows every day. Mm. Um, and what we're looking to try and do is bring our customers along across this journey and be able to provide uh, service for them globally. Now to do that we have to also sit and understand what uh, is important to our customers. You know, and what's important to our customers is food security, what's important to our customers is environmental challenges. You know, all these things are really, really important. They're sometimes as important as moving pallets across a loading bay and delivering it. And the agenda is way more than just what's the service level of, of, of moving those pallets, you know, how accurate are you? That's a given. We're always going to be accurate doing that and we employ lots of systems and lots of checks and balances to be that accurate. But the, the key to these deep relationships with their customers is hitting on their priorities. And their priorities sit just outside the physical attributes of, of, of moving temperature control product ar around the world. Do you feel, I, I think that there's this, there is a shift going on over the last few years in the customer base to understand that the environmental commitments that have been around for a while, whether you're a retailer or a, or a manufacturer, whatever else, a consumer facing brand, talking about your environmental credentials, turning that into actual measurable change within their own owned yep. operations, but also within their supply within their, within their supply partners. And they're starting to understand the importance of, of partnering for the long term and understanding what the costs of that are and what, the, what, the, what, the, what, the, what, the, what has to be done to, to differently in order to achieve those goals. Do you feel that we're, yeah, we're having those sorts of conversations now? D definitely. There's a seismic shift away from a very transactional relationship between a customer and a, and, and a service provider. Um, for too long it's just been about price and do I get my goods delivered and if well, those two sort of things match then tick, you know, I've, I've got somebody they want to work with. You know, that people are more interested about their, the carbon footprint. People want to understand that actually I am taking food miles. You know, food miles has been something that's been talked about for a long, long time uh, and trying to reduce food miles. But reducing food miles is reducing carbon and strategically placed facilities that offer more direct distribution out to the customer base are always going to be lesser food miles and, and that's greener. Is, is that sort of, sort of one of the fundamental thing, uh, reasons behind the, the major, major investment you've made in Peterborough? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So, so, you know, one, if, if you look at the pre predominance of cold storage, it's in, it's in sort of Midlands to north uh, of the UK. And there's a reason for that. One is land's quite a bit cheaper up here, manufacturing heartland, so this is where stuff used to get made. Uh, and, and, and doing that is, is, is absolutely right, except most of the population live in the south, which means we've got to move that product down. As we know now, 50% of our goods roughly comes from abroad anyway. So actually we're seeing product come in from the south and it has to move all the way to the north to move to 60% of the people living in the south again. So you've got product coming through southern ports that's moving north to move, to then go south to, to, to get delivered to, to customers. And, and so a cold storage has been, um, what's the best way of describing it? Histor historically northern <laughs> rather than historically southern. Um, and, and that doesn't really match the flows of, of where product comes from and where people live. 
So Peterborough is is a great place. It, it serves uh, it serves the, the ports of Felixstowe. It serves uh, Dover to Calais. Uh, it serves um, um, the, the the London ports. It's got a great catchment area, and it's able to distribute out into the country. That size of facility is just not seen in in the south. But it's been a it's been a, a shift in, in in thought process for service providers to to do that because land prices are more expensive. Um, so there is a cost to build down there. You know, there's the, there definitely is. It's not as it's not as cost effective as finding finding land in in, in the north of England. But 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 there is a trade off. And so moving on then, obviously you're building a lot of new space right yep. now, and so you're, you are very much at the decision-making point around sort of the construction uh, standards and, and, and insulation values and, and yep. all the different elements and automation decisions around what you're going to put yep. into facilities. How does environmental uh, considerations, sustainability considerations, fit into your decision-making around those things? No, it's, it's, it's a huge part of what, of, of what we do. You know, we, we, we've got to construct things that are there for the, for the long term. Uh, and, and what we know is that the, the price of electricity today isn't going to be the price of electricity next year or in the next five years or in the next 10 years. So, so what we're always looking at is looking to, to be as cost effective as, as possible from an energy consumption. And that means you've got to get the most thermally dynamic insulation panels. You've got to put in the most robust refrigeration systems that you can that are designed to work in that space to the optimal level. Uh, and we spend lots of time working with our with our partners uh, in, in refrigeration and our builders to understand how we design out anything that is suboptimal, um, and, and and make that make that work for us in there. And, and I think I, I, mean, I know from our from our from our conversations over, uh, throughout how how much you're thinking about this as a long term play. This is a long term investment. These these facilities are going to be a service yeah. for this country for the next 30, 40 years. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know you look at you look at the cold storage market today, and and there's the, there's facilities that are still there from the 1960s and before, you know, and they are still trading and they're still out there, and 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 you know they do an important job within the within the food supply chain. Um, however. I think, and we've talked about this before, that the, the, in the future, the spotlight, you know, if there wasn't COVID and there wasn't Brexit, the streets would be full of people marching up and down saying, you know, we, we've, got to, we've got to look at the, the green agenda further. You know, we, we, we know that there's a distraction from that at this moment in time. And, and being in an industry that is so important because of food, mm -hmm. because we're, we're sustaining food, being in an industry that's so heavily reliant on energy, whether that be electricity and, of course, diesel for, for, for delivering goods on, on trucks. We've got to be thinking long term about this because at some point government's going to legislate. You know, that net zero challenge sits there. You know, 2050 exists. And how we fit into that and, and, and how we are able to demonstrate that, that we're doing everything possible to, to, to be as energy efficient as we can be is a really important thing. We're never going to be net zero. It, we can't not use energy. There is one other dynamic within that, which is about how we generate electricity. Course, yeah. And so there could be, so we're certainly going to be using a lot of energy for forever, because that's mm. the way you keep stuff cold. We can actually generate energy. Do you see opportunities in that area around generating your own power to, 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 to facilities? Yeah, so the, so there's opportunity. You know, we've got uh, eight million pounds worth of solar sat on the top of uh, our our facilities, and this year has been quite good for those those solar panels because we've had quite a bright sunny. Uh, sunny year really so so they've really been generating quite a lot of electricity for us however they, they generate less than 10% of what we what we need 
uh, and in truth probably less than 5% of, of, of what we need. There are opportunities, certainly I think in the future, to be able to look at how we can generate uh, electricity ourselves. You know, look at uh, Ashley over at McCullough's in, in Ireland, he, he, he's put his uh, digestion plant next door to generate electricity, you know, and, and things like that are, are, you know, are really interesting. We've looked at windmills before, really difficult to get, people don't want windmills in their eye line, but they're a great way of generating electricity. And again, nobody wants us to have an aerobic digester at the side of our, at the side of our facilities because they're, they're not the, the, the nicest things to, to have. But people have to start thinking about how we, how we look at that for the long term to try and understand how we generate more electricity. And I think those are the, those are the key parts that, that, that probably uh, fall into those questions. But I think government needs to help us get there, really. Yeah, it's part of a bigger picture. It is. Otherwise, it's very tactical, as you're saying. Correct. It's about what you can do in a particular place. Um, can we talk, move on to talk a bit about the, the Federation and the work that we do as, as the Cold Chain Federation, mm. obviously, as, as, as president. You've been the president throughout the time that I've been, been here. Yep. And we've worked very closely together around the mission we've got to transform yep. our organization. Um, how do you see the role of industry collaboration, that horizontal collaboration between people that move and distribute good food, um, uh, to achieve these sorts of big picture goals like the net zero goal? Yeah, no, I think it's really, really important. I know, I know we've talked to, at length about this for, for, for many times, you know, for, for a lot of time. And I think if we look at the Federation as, as it was, that it was a group of individuals who came to, to meetings and, you know, the idea of a Federation was to get people together and, and, and to share best practice. And that, that never happened, you know. Uh, and I think we've not managed to turn that fully yeah, but I think there is more collaboration within what we're doing in the Federation today uh, because we're talking about the topics that really matter. Um, you know, like this net zero, those, those, those are things that we can talk about within the Federation and we can understand and try and get together on it. What's your uh, hope for the next sort of year of, of, of the Federation? What do you hope to see um, us achieve over the next sort of 12, 18 months? You know, I've been I've I've been really proud of what we've achieved so far, and and it's it's probably going to be difficult to get more proud about how how we've actually moved forward. You know, the face of the, the federation today is is one that is welcoming. Um, we're seeing that by by new members joining. Um, you know, there's been people who haven't been part of the federation who 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 are coming on board. That you know, it's it's long overdue. Um, I think. What, what COVID has done is, is stopped some of that expansion for us, has stopped some of that networking, and I, and I really hope that the new people who've joined are going to come and join us to, to, you know, and be able to sit down and talk and, you know, and be part and, and feel like members of the Federation, because that's what we are. We're a membership organisation, and we need people to feel that they are members and are getting value from us, and it's something I've, I, I bang on about all the time. It's, you know, what have you done for me lately? You know, the Federation needs to have, 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 have found a way of connecting with its members. And I think, we, I think you've done a fantastic job through COVID to, to, to maintain that. And, 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 the, and, the, and the Federation has had more relevance, I think, than, it, than it's had for a, for a long time. What do, what do I hope for the next, next 12 months? Well, I think, I think you know, hitting on key subjects like this is, 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 is really key. You know, the guidance that we're putting out now, the, the way that we're actually looking to lead the industry th by guidance and, and best practice, you know, the really important things. Nobody is stuck up for our industry. You know, we are the, we are the people who are moving the food around, we're the people who are keeping the shelves stocked. You know, we're, we're feeding a nation. Mm. But 
was the unsung heroes of of that and and raising that profile and 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 leading the industry with guidance you know it it it, it, it makes me proud to be part of that uh, and, and if we continue to do that and we continue to grow on that I, I think you know we're going to have done a great great job brilliant Tim, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for today and thanks a lot for all the support you've personally shown to building what we've been all about over the last no, year. No, it's been a pleasure. So that brings us to the end of our first leader interview. Um, if you're watching this in the week of this, uh, when, it, when we release it, 2nd of October, then please take part in, in our workshop, which is on Friday at 11 a.m. If not, then please go on the website and look back at all the resources we've been releasing both this week and throughout uh, around our topic of, of achieving net zero. Um, and we look forward to hearing your thoughts and, and feedback and ideas as we um, start on this path and journey uh, towards meeting the challenges head on. <laughs>